Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on FlowCombat.com. I'm Daniel Gumby Freeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. The UFC back in Vegas for just one more week at the Apex before we head out to Fight Island. And let me tell you something. This may not be a pay-per-view card, but it feels like a pay-per-view card. There are tons of big names on this card. There are tons of fights on this card. We're going to be breaking down three of them for you, of course, as part of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays, where we'll also give you a underdog and a parlay that we think you should play and that we think is going to make you a bunch of money. So make sure you tune into that section. Also, before we get to that, I'm going to have three interviews with fighters on the, the fight card itself. First, I'm going to be talking to Jordan Espinoza as he gets ready for his bout with David Dvorak. Then I'm going to be talking to Sarah Alpar, who makes her UFC debut after a very long wait. And of course, I'll also be talking with Miguel Baeza, who, while he's had an opponent change since we've done the interview, he's no longer fighting Mickey Gall. He now has a new opponent that we're going to take a look at a little bit later on in the show. And we're going to be talking to him about all kinds of other things, too. So make sure you check out that interview. And all of that great content comes to you right now. And joining me now is Jordan Espinosa, who fights David Dork at UFC Vegas 11, Covington versus Woodley. Jordan, I, I want to start by talking about the fact that, you know, your last fight, you went out at Bantamweight, and I know you've done that before in the past. H how much of that was pandemic-related or short-notice-related, and how much of that was maybe a, a desire to go back to Bantamweight? So, uh, I was, uh, it was a little pandemic-related, as in, like, my weight was a little bit higher than normal, but uh, when they initially offered me the fight, I took it at 25s. Um, I guess De La Rosa said that he didn't have enough time to make weight, so he wanted to do it at 35s, and so I agreed to it. I had no problem with that. Um, and, yeah, always not having to cut weight is always kind of better. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 you know, like I said before, you, you fought a bunch of times at Bantamweight. Did you notice a noticeable change in, you know, how you were fighting, how you felt at fight time at Bantamweight versus how you've been feeling at Flyweight? So in the cage, uh, not really, but definitely during like fight week, uh, my mood, uh, just being able to enjoy fight week a little bit more, a little bit, uh, being able to eat a little bit more. Um, so fight week, it was completely different. Usually I go into fight week, uh, fight week on fly, uh, when I'm fighting at flyweight and fight week's usually hard and cutting the band weight was so easy. Um, I think I only had like, by the time I got out there on that Tuesday, I only had like nine pounds to cut, which is a big improvement over having 18 or 19 to cut during fight week. So, yeah. You you typically drop 18 to 19 pounds during fight week. I mean, I know you're a wrestler. <laughs> that sounds like a lot of weight, man. Uh, I typically do, although this time I'm uh I'm making sure my weight's a little bit lower going into fight week. So I'm I'm expecting this one not to be as bad. Yeah, okay. All right, so let's talk a little bit about something I think is a little funnier and something that I've always been interested in. I noticed on your, your Instagram recently you got a new nickname that you, you've been trying out, The Gamer. <laughs> I, I haven't heard Bruce Buffer or, or Martinez shout that out yet, but is that something we're going to be trying out in the cage and where to come from? Yeah, this this would definitely be my first fight where I've uh, introduced that nickname, The Gamer. Um, and it kind of just came from – it's. When I'm not in the gym, that's what I'm doing with 
90% of my time outside of the gym. And so to me, it was kind of a no brainer. Um, and I also was like, man, I don't actually have a nickname. So that kind of sucks. And so what's something that's like represents me. And I think the game is a good one. I play all, I play all types of games. Um, I'm probably, probably shouldn't say this, but I'm probably played more video games than I do being in the gym. Uh, but yeah, I mean, to me, it's a no brainer. Uh, I like the game and yeah, the gamer. Did, did you come up with it yourself or was it, you know, imposed on you by one of your friends or one of your teammates? So if I'm being honest, one of my old friends that I used to train out here and he no longer trains anymore, uh, his nickname was The Gamer, but <laughs> I, I, I definitely stole it from him, uh, but I, I, I asked him if I could use it and he was cool with it, so... It was it for the same reason, or was it like a video game related one, or was it like more of his style of fighting, like he's a gamer in there when he fights? Well, for his reason, it was video game related as well, but his fighting style was very much gamer. Like he was game. He he would walk through punches to, just to throw five or six and get his own. Like yeah, he was a good dude. Awesome. I, well, I, I'm sorry that you stole his nickname, but I like the story <laughs> of where that came from. Now. It's not surprising that you're super into video games, right? Because you have a, a computer engineering degree from the University of New Mexico. Am I wrong about that? No, that's correct. I'm yeah. a I'm a nerd. So so where did you – how did this – I mean, obviously, I know you were a state champion wrestler in high school, so there is some clear transition there. But but how did you go from getting a degree in computer engineering to getting back in the cage or get, getting back on the mats? So I was – the whole time I was going to school, I was I was fighting as an amateur. Um, my first professional fight, I believe, was still in my last semester of college. And after I graduated, in, in fact, the last two years I was in school, I was kind of over it. But I was I was getting paid to go to school. I had a full uh, academic scholarship, so I felt it would be dumb of me not to finish when I wasn't paying for it. Um, and so after I was done, I was at a crossroads, and I was like, well, what do I really want to do? Do I want to give this a real shot or do I want to get a nine to five working on computers or doing software development and things like that. And I, I chose the latter or I chose the former, obviously. Yeah. Well, and we're really glad you did, but is that something you, you obviously plan on leaning on in, in your retirement or, or is that, you know, we're now into Hobbyville with, with computers. <laughs> uh, honestly, who knows? I, uh, I tried not to, I probably should have some t type of exit plan or, uh, strategy but right now i just i like to take things day by day like a lot can happen in a year um at one point in my career i was i was four and four and then two years later i'm fighting on the contender series like uh yeah i i don't i don't like to i like to set goals but i don't like to put uh limitations on what i do or don't want to do in the next five ten years but uh we'll see and, and you mentioned there being four and four too that's obviously a really tough part of any professional fighter's career and when you're considering what your future is and especially when you have a, a great you know degree to back you up in the first place was it ever hard for you to like continue on fighting knowing that you were four and four and sometimes you know opportunities like that don't pop up for four and four guys very often oh for sure uh my parents were very happy about it either <laughs> uh, yeah, my dad, for the longest time, my parents were like, why don't you just get a regular job or what? you have a degree? Why don't you work instead of they were watching me struggle and kind of grinding on the regional circuit for eight years? Um, but 
I mean, what is life if you're not doing the things that you love? And so I figured while I while I'm young, um, while I'm in my athletic prime, give it a shot. And I would have been okay with not making UFC failing. If I would have lost my next five fights, at least I tried and I could look myself in the mirror and say I gave it a real shot instead of wondering what if. I like that. And, and how do your parents feel now that you're in the UFC? You know, you're a, you're a four fight veteran. Do they still hate it? Do they still want you to get a real job? Uh, they come to every single one of my fights when they can. So now now they're very supportive. Um, it's not that they weren't supportive before. They just had like the the parental. They didn't want to see me struggle, mm-hmm. and they they wanted me to succeed financially and and also with whatever I wanted to do. So it's not like I didn't have support before, but at least like. I'm a little bit more stable now, so they can have a little bit of peace of mind. I like that. All right, so let, let's talk a little bit about this fight, too. You're fighting David Vork. He's a guy who, who kind of relied on his stand-up quite a bit in his, his UFC debut. He got taken down a couple of times. Is, is that something you're sort of, like, licking your chops as, as a former, you know, like a state champion wrestler? Yeah, you would think, right? But uh, <laughs> but it seems like my last – I feel like the last two or three years, I've, I've become more of a striker myself. Uh, more of a kind of a sprawling brawler, and honestly, I, I I like fighting that way. It's fun for me. Um, the first five years of my career, really, I I was an overhand right to a double leg kind of guy, mm-hmm. and uh, that can get real tiring real quick, get real predictable. Um, so we'll see. I I I know he has good stand up and he's comfortable there, but uh, I think I'm well rounded. I think I can mix in some takedowns of whenever I want. And uh, but I also think I could frustrate him, and I think I'm faster, and I could beat him up on the feet. And, and you mentioned in there too that you were you've kind of want, wanted to develop into a sprawler brawler a little bit more. I, I, looking at your record, you have a bunch of Darius chokes and a bunch of Bravo chokes as well. Do do you sort of credit that to the fact that like you you sprawl really well, and or or where does that come in so heavily in your game? Yeah, so most of those Darces um, either came off of them taking a bad shot on me. And I end up in a front headlock position. Um, and I have a few from me taking them down, ended up in side, con- uh, side control and kind of mm-hmm. baiting them into it. Mm-hmm. Um, but honestly, the darts came kind of seamlessly because in wrestling, high school wrestling, I had a bunch of pins with a three-quarter. It's, a, it's basically like a darts except you don't go to the bicep. Um, and so the only difference is it was an easy transition because I would get in the three-quarter. And I, this has happened in my fights too. I'll set up a three-quarter choke first. And then just kind of roll through and slide my arm to my bicep and hit the darts. So, um, yeah, part of it is that they take, I frustrate them. They end up taking bad shots so I can seek up a darts. And the other part of it is that it's just so ingrained in my muscle memory from wrestling and all these years of MMA now that it's, I don't even have to think about it. I like that. Well, we're just about to the end of this interview and I usually like to get a prediction out of my, uh, my interviewees. So, can you wager a prediction here? How do you see this going down with David Vorick when it uh, happens this upcoming weekend? Oh, man. I uh, I think I'm going to get my first TKO in the UFC. I don't know what round, but I'm calling a TKO stoppage. All right. Well, you heard it here first, folks. This is Jordan Espinoza, and he fights David Dvorak at UFC in Vegas 11, Covington versus Woodley. Uh, Jordan, thank you so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you, man. I appreciate you having me. And that interview with Jordan Espinoza is brought to you by Maroon Social. M-A-R-U-N-E Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiasts. Whether you do kickboxing, judo, sambo, or jujitsu, 
it does not matter. They cover you with over 35 martial arts right in the app that allows you to track your progress in those martial arts using the belt system and also to log your training sessions, your competitions, your weigh-ins, and so much more. Check them out wherever it is you download apps. And joining me today is Sarah Alpar, who fights Jessica Rose Clark at UFC Vegas 11 Covington versus Woodley. So, Sarah, I, I want to start by talking about the fact that you got signed on the Contender Series all the way back in last August. Obviously, there's fights been canceled, a, a global pandemic, a lot of craziness. But what has this past year been like for you as you, you sort of wait to get your first fight? Oh, yeah, it, it's been crazy. <laughs> I mean, if it's not fighting or, um, you know, training or things like that, you know, I'm still, I'm still working and, uh, I've been planning a wedding too. So, um, it's, it's been, it's been nuts. I've been having to fight with my body this last year and trying to figure out why, um, it's been just fighting against me. And so that was just a, a whole nother, um, realm of problems too. And then with, uh, you know, I was supposed to fight in May, and then that got canceled because of COVID. But, you know, we're still here. Things are still going. And the, the best thing that fighters can do is just keep training and pretending like a fight's going to come up soon. So. And you mentioned, you know, obviously having some, some physical issues leading into this fight. How, how do you feel coming into this fight now? Do you feel like back to where you were, you know, when you were feeling healthier all the time? Or, or are you still kind of nicked up a little bit? I, I'm feeling so much better. Things are working just as they need to. I have a um, nutritionist that has been amazing um, to me, or well, registered dietitian, I guess, if you want to put it, um, like, for what she really is. Um, and she's been really great and helpful and, and listening to me and knowing exactly how to get me back on track and get my hormones back Um on a healthy level. And so it, it's been, it's been great. Um, and I, I feel awesome right now. So, well, well, that's good to hear too. And, and you, you sort of alluded to it before, but like, obviously the mental aspect of this is really hard too. you know, thinking you're going to fight, not thinking you're going to fight, you know, having stuff that you know is keeping you out. How, how did you deal with all of that other than, you know, just going to the gym every single day? Yeah. So, I mean, this isn't the first go around where, you know, it's been, you know, over a year since I would fight or anything like that. Um, you know, th thing, things just happen. Um, our bodies are our work. And so with that, you just, it just takes an understanding that if your body's down, then you're out of work for that time being. And you just got to be around a, a positive atmosphere and a bunch of positive people who have your back and, and find other things to do to make you stronger. You know, if you're not on the mats, then may, there, maybe, you know, you need to work on something else, you know, your, your strength or there's always something to work on, um, in, in this game. And you mentioned your strength there too. Do, do you feel like you needed to, to bulk up? Cause I know you fought a bunch of times at flyweight as well. And, and you even teased a, a drop to flyweight after, you know, your last fight, your contender series fight, um, is, is that something you felt like you needed to do to stay at Bantamweight? No, because I, I had been sitting heavy anyways because my body had not wanted. Like, my, my rebound weight after um, a fight would get so high, my body wanted to stay at a higher weight. Um, 
I'm still looking to go to flyaway. I think that it's going to be a great weight class for me. I just needed to have the the time and the um, proper people and the proper nutrition in order to get me back down where I where I need to. Um, so my body it's sitting leaner and um, smaller than it, it's been, but I still feel strong. Um, and it doesn't keep me out, you know, if I'm going bantam weight, let's go bantam weight. I'm going to drop to flyweight. We're going to continue to um, progress to get down to go to flyweight. And, and is that something that you think you could see, you know, if one fight down the road? Or is that something that's going to be a little bit more of a long-term goal? Uh, you know, I, I can't I can't really say. It just depends on what my, my hormones start doing. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's like if... Like last for contender series, uh, I had a, a hard weight cut and, um, and then the, the birth control and stuff I, I was on because of that, it just messed everything up and it took, you know, a little over eight months for everything to get back to where it needed to. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think now that everything's all, all that is flushed out of my, my system and, um, my, my hormones are back regularly how they need to, my body's saying like, okay, we can we can lose this and that and be able to get down. But, you know, it, I could have another hard weight cut and it could do the same thing. Or um, we could, you know, try to like right, right after, you know, see what we can do to keep everything normal and get it bounced back. Because, I mean, weight cuts are so hard for everyone's body and just the average person just doesn't understand like the process and what's going on with all that. So... We'll see. Either it's going to be something short or it's going to be something that's like, well, it, my body's rejecting itself again and I'm going to have to take another one at Bantam weight. So we'll, we'll just have to see what happens. Makes sense to me. Now, let's talk about the actual fight itself, too, because you're fighting Jessica Rose Clark, who is a former flyweight herself. And, and she's kind of taken, you know, that approach that she feels like she needs to bulk up to come up to Bantam weight. What, what do you sort of think of her as an opponent and when they offered her to you as an opponent? Uh, everything, I think Jessie Jess is awesome. I've always looked up to her as a fighter and, and, um, been inspired by her story. Um, I think as a fighter, um, if, I mean, if she feels that she needs to go up a weight class and she needs to do what she feels is best to do that. Um, I mean, that, that's, um, hers, that's on her, um, I, I'm, I don't have anything against it, like in disagreement or anything like that. Um, but uh, having this this fight, I think it's a great opportunity for me. And I think our styles are so different too. It's just going to be um, like who who has the better better style for um, this fight, and who's going to be first. Absolutely. Now, I'm curious, too, because you said in there that you, you've seen her as an inspiration. Is that weird for you, you know, going into a fight, having to, like, put that aside as you get ready to fight? Mm, I think just, like, a part of making it to the UFC, like, the whole thing is kind of weird at first, you know? <laughs> like, I went up to the Performance Institute, and I just saw all these fires that I've always just seen on TV, and then there they are in, in person, and I'm just like I'm already awkward already, and so <laughs> super extra awkward, just kind of like staring at them, like oh my gosh, you know. <laughs> but um, so uh, 
I mean, it's kind of just the, the whole thing is on a different level, and I keep having to remind myself, like, you are here now, and uh, these are all just people just like me, what, you know, where, like, they're all the same, you know? Was there a fighter in particular that you were particularly starstruck by that, that like, took you aback the most? Okay. <laughs> I feel like it's, like, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but I... When I went, I went to New Mexico for a few weeks to train at Jackson Week because I've heard great things about them and, um, you know, and seeing everybody up there and even like training with Holly Holm. Um, I, I was just like, uh, oh, <laughs> face, you know, <laughs> like, like, it was just, it was so, it was, it was a new environment and everything too, but I mean, just like, I, I don't know, yeah. I just couldn't have, like, I feel like I couldn't have the right words to just talk, you know? <laughs> uh, well, I certainly understand that. Now, now let's, I wanted to ask you a question here because I was looking at your record, and, and it goes back a long way. For those of you who don't know too much about a record, you know, you, you've got, you know, 13 pro fights, and, and you started as a pro in 2011. You've, you've almost been, been at this for a decade. It, it looks like you took your first pro fight just after your 20th birthday, what got you into the sport so early? Oh gosh, you made me feel so old. <laughs> um, I so I, I was a wrestler before that, and I, I wanted I had big goals, big dreams, and they fell through. Um, I, I did a, a year at Oklahoma City University, and after that first year, I just like I started getting kidney stones. I was dealing with MRSA and. You know, just being away from home, I'm like a huge homebody. I've never been outside of Emerald, Texas, where I'm from. So after that, I was like, well, I'm, I'm going back home. And I feel like I fell short of my goals um, as, a, as a wrestler and, and trying to compete and do all that. Um, so, uh, and I felt lost. And then all of a sudden, um, I ended up at a job at a MMA gym in Amarillo. Um, on the kids' side to watch kids, and the instructor there uh, saw, you know, uh, and believed in me. And then from there, I just like I, I was able to compete in things again. And I started competing. And then he was like, "Well, let's just go pro." At that time, you know, a lot of the women they could go pro. There was really you couldn't really find a lot of amateur matches. So the thing to do, like, get some money, go pro, and and find. Uh, those matches through that so that's what we did and yeah 10 years later <laughs> wow that that's a, a heck of a story and it's you know i'm glad that you wound up on this side and not in wrestling because we get the joy to watch you now i i feel like you're not the type of person who's going to answer answer this question but i'm going to ask it anyway because i ask all the fighters i have on right at the end of the interview how, how do you see this fight going with with jesse rose clark can you wager me a prediction <laughs> well uh you predicted exactly right <laughs> so i hate answering questions like that because it's just i don't know i don't want to be like yeah this is what i'm gonna do and then like, you just never know what's gonna happen so it's just you know we gotta wait and see but of course i'm always gonna favor me i think every, every fighter i'm not gonna be like well i think she's gonna she's gonna win i think she's gonna do great like that's just not what <laughs> you're even supposed to say so when i want to go out there and i, I want to show my my skill set on 
what I really have, and I'm always trying to grow and be a better fighter, and always trying to prove everyone wrong, and so that's that's the plan. Well, we're, some people. <laughs> we're we're looking forward to it. Once again, guys, this is Sarah Albert who fights Jessica Rose Clark at UFC Vegas 11. That's Colby Covington versus Tyrone Woodley. Thanks so much for the time, Sarah. I really appreciate it. Hey, yeah. Thanks for having me. And that interview with Sarah Alpar is brought to you by MyBookie. Visit MyBookie.ag and use promo code TOPTURTLE and get 100% deposit bonus. That's right. They're going to double your money that you put in right away when you're gambling on this card. And later, we're going to give you some advice. Why not make that money work for you? So head on over, MyBookie.ag. It is the best and most convenient mobile betting platform out there. Check them out. And joining me today is Miguel Baeza, who fights Mickey Gall at UFC Vegas 11, Covington versus Woodley. Miguel, I, I want to start by talking about your last win. You're coming off a win over Matt Brown, a guy who beat, you know, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, Diego Sanchez. He fought Cerrone and Maya. And now he has a loss to Miguel Baeza by knockout. What does it mean to hear your name in the, that list of names? Well, I just put a smile on my face. I didn't really, you know, uh, I kind of just look at the opponent as they come and uh, to hear, you know, the resume. You know, you know about Matt Brown. Everybody knows about Matt, about Matt, about Matt Brown. And you know what he brings. And, you know, you, you've seen the guys that he's beaten and the guys that he's fought. And, you know, I try not to get caught up in that. But now that you're you're mentioning it, it's just like a, a brass smile on my face. <laughs> I guess I'm, you know, I, I got a W I got a W of a real badass, you know. Well, well, I'm glad that, that I can bring a smile to your face on all of this, too. Now, I'm curious, too, because after beating Matt Brown, like you said, a guy's a legend. You knew his name anyway. Everybody knows his name anyway, regardless of the resume. You then get a guy like Mickey Gall, who, you know, has kind of got a big name attached to him as well. But obviously, maybe not even as prestigious as, as Matt Brown. What were your thoughts when they offered you Mickey Gall? Oh, to be honest, you know, they, they, I've gotten uh, my whole thing when I've gotten this question about, you know, who I wanted to fight or whatever it was, it's always been about just the guy that gave me the name, and I just want to beat that guy. Like, it's never been about, you know, uh, you know, what's his name? Like, who's who's he? Or who's that? Or like, what can that do for me? I just, if that's the name that's in front of me, then I have to beat him. So, Gaul is just another guy in front of me that I have to beat to get to the ultimate goal, which is the title. Well, and I like that answer, too. But but out of curiosity, you know, like, obviously, the the difference in opponents obviously affects how fast you can move up there. Are you just of the belief that it's going to happen when it happens and, and it doesn't really matter how fast it happens? Yeah, you know, I guess, like you said, I believe it's, it's going to happen when it happens. You know, like, after beating Matt Brown, did I think I was going to get a, a, a bigger name or something closer to that? Yeah, I did. But, again, I'm not, you know, it's what, my, my third fight in the UFC, so... You know, I don't know how this uh, how it works. I haven't been there with, with them long enough. I'm just getting ready for whatever fight they give me, and I want to be able to, you know, do the same, put on a show and, and win the fight and, and, and then move up every time. That makes a lot of sense to me. Now, I'm, I'm curious about it stylistically, too, here, because Mickey Gall is a guy who's known to have really great grappling. Last time out, he didn't look so great on the feet against Mike Perry. Is that a, a weakness that you see in him? Is that something you've thought about exploiting as well? You know, we we watched a lot of video on him. We've seen his tendencies and stuff like that. And I know his ground game is his specialty, but uh, I feel like uh, my ground game is just as good, if not better. So I'm not really worried about that either. I'm just gonna uh, do our game plan. You know what we have in, uh, we have salt installed, 
and just kind of uh, go off that. You know, I, I'm going to exploit what I see on the feed, and if he tries to take it down, I don't feel like uh, there's anything I can't do on the ground either. So I'm pretty, I'm pretty confident in this fight. All right. Well, I certainly like that. Now, I'm curious to, you know, we did a little retrospective there a second ago with, with the Matt Brown fight. But also, if you look back at your career, we're talking about just one year removed from you being on the Contender Series. Like you said, it is your third fight in the UFC already. What what has this last year felt like to you in the grand scheme of things? Uh, Man, this, uh, to be honest, this whole year has been a blessing. Like, uh, you know, before the Contender Series, it was hard to get fights. It was... uh. You know, one of those things, like, I've, I've been training for a while, and uh, I've been wanting to take it to the next level, but there was always some kind of uh, bout disagreement or something that happened with the uh, with the promotion or even just things that were personal that were happening in my life. And, it, you know, it didn't seem like everything was going to go the way that I had hoped it would go. And for me to get into the Contender Series and then get signed, get picked, and then fight, you know, for the UFC and give a win over Matt Brown, it's just like a, like a uh, storybook, you know, like I, you know, you, if you told me that a year ago, I'd be like, yeah, that's, yeah, okay, sure, buddy. You know, I probably wouldn't believe you. Well, and that, that's great to hear too. Now, I actually talked to a couple other people recently about that feeling of, of what regional promotions felt like, you know, obviously with the coronavirus, it's been a little trickier for regional promotions as well. But like at any point in time when you were on those regional promotions, did you begin to have doubts that this would happen? You, you said you didn't expect, you know, three wins in one year, but did you even doubt that, that you would be in the UFC one day? Definitely. Like, you know, the way everything is, you know, with set up with these regional promotions, sometimes it's not, uh, not, not everything is promised, you know? So, you know, they say you got to fight and all of a sudden something comes up where like, you know, like uh, I don't know, your opponent gets injured or the promotion just kind of falls out. I've had that uh, happen to me a few times where the promotion basically just shuts down and there's no more fight anymore. And then you just got to go look somewhere else now, you know, and uh, those things like when you have that, like those, those little bumps in the road, you know, you kind of realize like, okay, this isn't, nothing's promised, you know, even like a, a, a fight that I've signed this contract for and this date and we're going to do, you know, my opponent agrees, the promotion set it up. I have a contract, everything. Uh, anything can happen, you know. So having those those things happen, and then you just kind of see, like, as an athlete, you see you're getting a little older. You see these other guys in there. The game's starting to change, evolve, you know. And then you see, like, the amount of fighters that are out there trying to make it. You know, like, man, what are the chances that I'm going to get in there, you know. Like, I feel like it's been, I don't know, so many months or even years that I've, I've fought, and uh, it's hard for me to even get my foot in the door if I'm not getting any fights. So there were definitely times where I thought, you know, maybe, maybe this might not happen, but uh, I'm stubborn, so thank God for that. <laughs> well, I, I was going to ask you, too, you know, like you, you mentioned it. I, I appreciate you being honest about the doubt, too, because not a lot of people do that. But, you know, I appreciate you, you pointing that out, but what kept you going? Is it just stubbornness? Is it purely stubbornness kept you going? Uh, I, lo- I love the sport. Um, it, it's, um, I, I just I couldn't imagine myself doing anything else. I love what I do. And, uh, again, like, even though um, – I was in the UFC before. At least I found something that I love doing, and that's right there. And alone, it's a it's a blessing already. So I just I just I couldn't leave it behind. Uh, I knew what I wanted, and I, and I was going to go after it no matter what. So I I love that. Now I'm curious too because you said you know you love it and it, it's a, a, a real passion of yours, and, and you always knew you would follow it. Did that start at the very beginning of when you started MMA, or it, what? Did that dawn on you once you had already kind of been in the sport for a while? Uh, so 
my uncle introduced me into like to boxing when I was a kid. He was a uh, an amateur boxer back in Puerto Rico, and uh, you know when we were kids, you'd have you'd have us put on the gloves and uh, box with each other or do drills. You know, it wasn't something that we did like uh, every day, but every time we saw each other, we you know we'd get into boxing or talk about boxing, and I loved it. I, I you know I loved doing it then. Then as I got a little older, and the, you know the there was the, the fighters like uh, Felix Trinidad. When he fought, that was a big thing, you know, and that made me fall in love with the sport even more, just, you know, the support behind it and the the way the fans got behind their fighters, and it made me want to even, like, fight more. But as a kid, you don't really, like, uh, I don't know, I, I just never really thought I'd be a fighter, but I, I just knew I loved fighting. And then uh, I was, uh, I think I was 12 years old when I saw the first 11 or 12 or something like that, when I first saw the, the first Ultimate Fighter. And then when I saw that, I knew, like, oh, this what I'm doing, I'm fighting, I'm going to be a fighter. Like that's it, you know, and uh, I never said it out loud to any, anybody because you know you're you tell your mom you know I'm gonna be a, a fighter they're they're probably gonna be like yeah okay <laughs> you're going to college you know like you're <laughs> you know so I kept it to myself but I kind of knew since then I, I've always wanted to fight. And, and how did your mom and dad feel feel about your your uncle throwing boxing gloves on you all the time and, and leading you down that path? They you know they thought it was just a uh, like uh, something that you, he does with his uncle you know like they never really you know got into it it was just something oh uh, they just have a good time doing that so the kids the boys the boys are being boys are punching each other you know at least uh, at least uh, their uncle's there to supervise them and uh yeah little did they know that he was grooming me <laughs> well I, I like that story that's a good origin in the sport now I'm also interested in other origin stories and this is a little passion of mine. I like to hear origin stories about nicknames, and you've got one of the best ones I've ever heard, and that's Caramel Thunder. Can, do you mind sharing with me the story of where that comes from? Yeah, I, I appreciate that. I'm, I'm glad you appreciate that. Now <laughs> people appreciate that nickname. Thanks, man. <laughs> of course. So that 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 name started uh, in my amateurs when uh, I was. I can't remember exactly which fight it was. I think it was uh, my third or fourth amateur fight. I didn't have a nickname at the time, and uh, I was fighting at a club down here in South Florida. And the uh, the announcer, the ring announcer, came and asked me if I had a nickname. And uh, we always throw around like nicknames, but nothing ever stuck. Like they'd always throw like dumb ones, serious ones, you know, silly ones, all kinds of, you know, nicknames just to get me to like, you know, hey, what do you think of this one? Or see if it would stick. And they'd just start calling me that, and it wouldn't stick, or somebody wouldn't like it, and you know, so I never really had a nickname. So I told them, no, I don't have any. My my coach said I don't have any. Nobody said I had a nickname. It's just Miguel Baeza. And they were like, all right, fine. And, uh, you know, we're, we're in the back. I think I was, like, one of the, like, main events or close to the end of the of the, of the whole card. And uh, I'm starting – I'm walking out, and uh, my music plays. And the ring announcer uh, says Miguel, and then he says something in between, you know, blah, 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 Baeza. And I'm like, what – you know, I kind of look at my – did he, did he say something? He's like, yeah, you know, you just said your name. I'm like, all right, you know, I, I kind of missed it. Just kind of, you know, we're focused on the fight. Just let's just get that, get out there. Then I get in, I get in the cage. Uh, you know, they do the announcements for both of us. And again, he mentions it. And this time, I catch it a little more. Miguel the Thunder Baeza. And I'm like, is he calling me Thunder? I keep looking back at my, you know, at my uh, my coaches and the guys in the corner. I'm like, what is he saying? And uh, they're like, I, I, like it doesn't matter. Just focus on the fight. I'm like, yeah, all right, whatever. You know, no big deal. <laughs> then finally, the fight ends. I win and I, I get my hand raised and the winner. Miguel, and then I hear it this time, Caramel Thunder Baeza. <laughs> and, and I raise my hand, 
And about like two seconds later, you know, when uh, the ref, you know, puts my hand down and I move my corner, I'm like, wait, did he just call me Camel Thunder? <laughs> and then that's when like, yeah, my coach in my corner looked at me like, yeah, I think he called you Camel Thunder. <laughs> he didn't call me Camel Thunder this whole time. <laughs> so we're looking at, yeah, we're all, we're just confused. Like, what is going on? Like, all right, you know, I guess I'm Camel Thunder, you know, for this fire. So, you know, they start, you know, like my friends and family that are there start, you know, attending Camel Thunder. And uh, I'm like, man, who gave me this name? Like, what is this? Like, what, who, who, who's the guy who played a joke on me? So I'm asking my coaches. They don't know. They have no idea. I'm coming back out of the locker room from the fight. And they're like, oh, so you're Camel Thunder now, huh? I'm like, no, I'm not. Like, I, I, don't, know, I don't know what you're talking about. This is, this is as, as new to me as it is to you. And uh, after that, they just thought it was hilarious. And that, that became my nickname, Camel Thunder. To this day, I'm not even sure who gave me that nickname as a joke and told the ring announcer his name was Camel Thunder. So it started <laughs> off as a joke, and it stuck. So so that that's interesting. So you still to this day don't even know. And I, at, at first I, you hated I, it, too? Yeah, at first it was like, who, what, like, Camel Thunder? What is that? You know, like, I never, uh, I, I, and it sounds, at first you think, like, what is this guy like? Is he a stripper? You know, what's up with that? <laughs> So I was, you know, at first I was like, "Yeah, let's not do that one." But I, I feel like they saw that I didn't like it, so they kept on pushing it harder and harder. You know what I mean? It's like it, he he didn't like it, so he's de- he's definitely came off under. And I'm like, oh, "All right, forget it. I'm came off under." And then I don't know how many years ago that was. Probably eight, nine years ago. And boom, now I'm Caramel Thunder. Maybe even longer. Maybe like a whole decade ago, I, I got that name and just been Caramel Thunder ever since. Well, and it's been a pretty good decade. Now, I do want to return to the fight real quick before I let you go here. You know, you're fighting Mickey Gall this upcoming weekend. I like to get a, try to get a prediction out of the fighters when I talk to them. Do you got a prediction? How do you see this fight with Mickey Gall going? Uh, you know, um, I try not to be uh, disrespectful to my opponents, but I, I honestly think it'll be a TKO in the second round. All right, well, you hear that here first, folks. This is Miguel Caramel Thunder Baeza, who fights Mickey Gall at UFC Vegas 11, Covington versus Woodley. Miguel, thanks so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right, guys, well, we hope you enjoyed that interview with Miguel Baeza, as well as the one before with Sarah Alpar and Jordan Espinoza. Dave, I'm now joined by my co-host, Shockwave Dave Dramonte. Dave, let's get right into UFC Vegas 11, because it is amazing Apart from missing a title fight, this is borderline a pay-per-view card, in my opinion. What do you think of it? OMG, Gumby. This is a pay-per-view quality card. I'm very excited about it. The top three fights we'll get into, but uh, and, and they're all great fights. Uh, but then I'm also excited just about uh, Randa Marcos and Mackenzie Dern. That's a fun fight. Uh, I'm excited to see Johnny Walker on the comeback trail and against Ryan Spann. The card as a whole is lit, as they say. Yeah, it's almost crazy that there is a Mackenzie Dern fight on here and we're not mentioning it as, like, one of the top three fights on a fight night card. Like, if if that was a pay-per-view and she was fourth or fifth, that's one thing. But she's fifth here uh, on a fight night card. And and like I said, apart from missing a title fight, like, if you made Colby Covington versus Tyron Woodley for an interim title Man, this does not look bad for a pay-per-view card, and even the prelims have got some bangers on it. Yeah, well, I think I was going to say something similar, too, which is there's something to be said for Woodley, a former champion, Colby Covington, uh, one of the bigger names at this point in the UFC. Uh, you know, he's really done an amazing job marketing himself, and, and now the UFC has kind of helped out 
themselves, you know, a year or two for the last year or two. But I remember him coming on our show a few years ago and him talking about how he had to do all his own marketing. Uh, he was doing funny stuff like uh, photoshopping emails that he fake sent to RDA trying to get a fight. Uh, didn't he stand outside on the street and held up like a cardboard sign that said, we'll fight for food. And he's just honestly one of the better examples of someone who promoted themselves and even though he didn't have like the most highlight real worthy wins along the way, he was kind of a decision monster, but he was a wrestling monster. He was exciting enough. And him and Woodley are two of the bigger names you could get in a non-title fight. And it's a bit of a grudge match too, kind of like a pro wrestling vibe to it. Cause they hate each other. Yeah. I love the way that they built this fight up. Like, and it's not even on purpose, right? Like they've mentioned that this fight is a possible fight for years and years and years. We're finally getting it now. It almost feels like too late because Tyrone Woodley is sort of, I don't want to say past his prime, but definitely past that that stage where we were all terrified of what he was going to do to everybody in the cage. And, and like, it still has a big fight feel to it. Well, let's break it down. But before we actually break down the technical aspects of it, because we're going to get into our favorite segment on the show, Fights, Dogs, Parlays. Uh, one may wonder if any company sponsors this segment, Fights, Dogs, and Parlays. Absolutely. Fights, Dogs, and Parlays is brought to you by MyBookie.ag for the best online and mobile gambling gambling experience. Make sure to visit MyBookie.ag. You can also use promo code TOPTURTLE for an 100% deposit bonus. That's right. They're going to double your money for you. So make sure you get on, on the easiest payouts that are existing right now in mobile betting and get a little bit of extra cash, mybookie.ag. All right. So we'll start with the main event. Uh, and I think the best place to start is here. Tyron Woodley reeled off, uh, well, it's tough to say this. Let's just say from the years 2014 to 2018, he was 6-0-1. So he had two three-fight win streaks that were interrupted in the middle, with the draw to Steven Thompson, but he beat the likes of, I don't know, some guy named Dung Hyung Kim, Kelvin Gastelum, Robbie Lawler, Steven Thompson. After the draw, he did get the win. Damian Maya, Darren Till. And then we round the corner into 2019. He's defending his welterweight title, and he loses to the upstart, Kamara Usman, who looks to be, per- perhaps since GSP, potentially the most dominant champion at 170 that we have seen in quite some time. Uh, and then Woodley had a comeback fight off that loss to Usman against Gilbert Burns, and he lost the unanimous decision, did not look good earlier this year to Gilbert Burns. So he is on a two-fight losing streak, is the former champion. Colby Covington also has lost to Kamaru Usman. It was the last time he fought in December of 2019. He lost via TKO in the fifth round in a banger of a fight. I encourage everyone to go back and watch that fight. It is an absolute classic. It was a war. Covington apparently broke his jaw in that fight, although I don't know that he ever admitted that. Before the loss to Usman, which was a very close fight despite the late finish, he had reeled off seven wins in a row himself with wins over uh, the aforementioned Dung Young Kim, Damian Maya. RDA, Robbie Lawler. So both these guys have very similar resumes. Uh, They both beat up Robbie Lawler. They both got beat up, so to speak, by Kamara Usman. 
Woodley got beat up in more dominating fashion. And what it all adds up to, Gumby, is that Colby Covington is a minus 400 favorite, and Woodley on this two-fight losing streak, maybe towards the tail end of his career, trying not to go three losses in a row, is a plus 325 dog. Who you got? And if it's not Woodley, which I assume it isn't, I want to hear some paths to victory for him. So I I think the path to victory for Woodley is a very clear one, right? Like, Woodley has always been really good uh, moving backwards and throwing that big counter hook or that big counter overhand for a knockout, right? Like, that's what he did to Josh Koscheck when he absolutely flattened him. He was moving forward when he, he flattened Robbie Lawler, but, like, same sort of deal. That big power shot, heat-seeking missile kind of deal. In order to do that to Colby Covington, he is going to have to avoid some of the, the just pure volume that Colby Covington puts together in the boxing game and land one of those big shots. Could he do it? Hell yeah. Like, like Kamar Usman did it, right? Like, Kamar Usman, I, I mean, not that he was backpedaling or anything like that, but Kamar Usman landed his big shots. Colby Covington is not unhittable. But here's the thing that makes me lean towards Colby Covington. It's that volume that I told you about. He gets right in people's face. He throws punch after punch after punch after punch after punch. And he mixes it in with wrestling so that you're defending that at the same time. Just like from a high output level standpoint, we're going to need Tyrone Woodley to defend takedowns. And not only defend takedowns, but do so in a way that his cardio stays up. Because that's the other thing. Colby Covington, very draining fighter to fight. It took an absolute cardio machine in Kamara Usman to be able to top him when he was trying that same game plan. And for me in this one, not that Tyron Woodley is still anywhere near where Robbie Lawler is in his decline, but it's sort of similar to me stylistically, right? Like Robbie Lawler's a guy who looks to land that big bomb, right? Like that's, I mean, that's how he got where he got, right? So like in this case, to me, I'm a little bit worried. Colby is just going to get in Tyron Woodley's face. Colby is just going to give him sort of the business that way. And it's probably going to wind up being a decision that isn't all that close over five rounds. You know, we saw Woodley get a submission with a darts choke uh, uh, and get his black belt in the ring uh, right after it happened uh, not too long ago. And I do not see this going to the ground. Colby Covington will not be taken down, nor do I think Colby Covington would look to take Tyron Woodley down. Although Woodley has been taken down in his last two fights coming into that, he had never been taken down in the UFC. And what it adds up to me is I do think this will be a Colby Covington win by decision. He will outpoint Woodley. Just like you said, you hit the nail on the head output is the name of the game for Colby Covington. And he will certainly have more output than Woodley. Um, And I don't see a path to victory for Woodley on the ground. It's got to become, you know, a a mad dogfight scramble where Woodley could catch him, maybe coming off the cage, maybe coming out of the clinch, something of that nature. But I don't think that's a high probability. And I believe at 38 years old, we've just seen in these last two fights, the top flight competition, Woodley has looked a little bit slower. Maybe he has one foot out the game. I know he's doing some acting. I think he's doing some, some music endeavors. Uh, We've seen him on the desk for the UFC and he's actually pretty good at it. So, you know, you get to 38 years old at 170-pound division, uh, and even, I would say, anything under about 205, uh, you know, heavyweight division, you can probably be competitive into your early 40s. It's just about power. It's not about speed. 205, okay, maybe, maybe in your late 30s you could get away with it. 
But anything under the 200-pound mark, speed becomes a huge factor. And 38, I hate to say it, as one 38-year-old to another, I think his time is set. And uh, we'll definitely see that with how much Colby Covington outstrikes him this week. I do hope for Woodley's sake, because I'm a fan of Woodley, that you know he can reverse father time and maybe pull one out here. I'd hate to see him go out on a three-fight losing streak. Yeah, I don't think we'll see the we end of him regardless, though. I, I will say that real quick before we move on to the next fight. I, I think Tyron Woodley, while it seems like he might have one foot out the door, he ain't going out with a loss to Colby Covington. They'd set him up with a, a fight for him to win and, and walk out on his own terms. Well, do I have a perfect segue for us? Because speaking of guys trying to walk out on their own terms and older and on a losing streak, Donald Cerrone is on a four-fight losing streak. Since looking great and beating Ally Aquinta via unanimous decision in May of 2019, funny enough, he's fought four times since then, got brutalized by Tony Ferguson, uh, lost via TKO, got brutalized by Justin Gaethje, lost via TKO, got brutalized to Conor McGregor. That almost seems like a weird, like, flash-in-the-pan fever dream uh, back in January of this year. Conor McGregor beat him in 40 seconds with the shoulder strikes and all that. So he lost to really three, along with Habib, uh, you know, those three guys and Habib are the top of the division and have been for the past couple of years. But you throw in another loss to Anthony Pettis. That was in May of 2020. So Cerrone is on a four-fight losing streak. He's fighting Nico Price, also coming off a loss. Nico Price lost to Vicente Luke via TKO back in May as well. Beat James Vick before that, lost to Joff Neal before that, beat Tim Means before that. So you kind of see the pattern with Nico Price, win one, lose one, win one, lose one, repeat. He's obviously looking to get the win. Uh, he is a minus 160 favorite. Cerrone, just a plus 140 dog. So it's not the widest margin of odds. Um, and Cerrone only being a plus 140 to, let's say, the younger, maybe quicker fighter off a four-fight losing streak, I think speaks a lot to you know odds makers and probably people laying a lot of bets on the name favorite Cerrone. Cerrone is uh, 37 years old, so a year uh, younger than Tyron Woodley, but both men kind of in the same place in their career. Who you got here? I'm going to go with Nico Price. I don't love this pick here, especially if I'm looking at odds here, because I actually think it's probably closer even than that line dictates, because you know, while, while I like Nico Price, and, and while I think Nico Price is, first of all, he's a very entertaining interview, but like, one of the things I worry about him is he just gets into the weirdest fights. You know, you mentioned, you know, that he's got alternated wins-losses and wins-losses. And you got to remember, he won that James Vick fight with an up kick. You know, like he was on bottom control against James Vick, which could have wound up him being on a three-fight losing streak. You know, if you go back to his win over Randy Brown, which he had after uh, back in 2018, he TKO'd him laying off his back again. You know, like he's got two wins while laying off his back, and not by submission, by by KO, which is just the craziest kind of sentences. So, you know, we are talking about him being 3-3 three and three in his last six, but it's it wouldn't be crazy to say he really might deserve to be 1-5. So, like, I think that's why the odds are so close and what gives me hesitation here. What I do like about him, though, is that he is willing to just bang. And lately, it hasn't looked like Cowboy Cerrone has that knockout power. You know, like he did at some point in time in his life have the ability to knock people out. The combination against Rick Story back in the day is one of the greatest combinations I've ever seen in an MMA fight. But at the same time, it just doesn't seem like it's still there for him. I mean, the last guy he knocked out was all the way back in January of 2019. And that was Alexander Hernandez, who debated that stoppage a little bit anyway. So, 
you know, we got a guy at 170, Nico Price. He's a big 170 or two who's got crazy KO power. They're going to go in there and mix it up. I'm taking the guy who's gotten recent knockouts in a fight where they're going to throw it, throw him down. But like I said, at the same time, Price isn't doing a ton to instill confidence in me. Yeah, I, I, yeah, this is for me a tough one to call. I probably, if it were three years ago, I go with Cerrone all day. I'm really more concerned just about the age and wear and tear on Cerrone. Other than that, though, I find Cerrone to be the better all-around fighter. I don't think he will get knocked out via up kick. Although I never would have said he'd get, you know, wobbled via shoulder strike either. So what do I know? But I think that just kind of speaks to where Cerrone's at in his career. Um, I probably lean Cerrone and want to hate myself for doing it after I take him. All right, let's move on because <laughs> this, I think, is a better fight to talk about with two more relevant fighters in a lot of ways. I mean, Kazmat Chimyov is one of the faster Eastern European fighters to make a name for themselves with just a few fights in the UFC. The UFC clearly sees this man having star potential. We've seen him put in dominant performances so far this year. Uh, he came into the UFC like a house on fire. Uh, he was able to um, just dominate in Again, it's almost it reminds me a lot of Habib more than more than anything. Uh just the way he's able to ground and pound from the top. And Gerald Mearshart is a very interesting uh matchup for him because Mearshart is a jiu-jitsu specialist. He has a million subs off his back, and I think the thinking goes that Chimiev will put Gerald Mearshart on his back. Now, from where I sit I believe that Kazimir Chimiov is going to put him on his back and rain down nuclear hammer fists uh, like nothing we have ever seen before, and he's going to be smart enough not to get subbed, not to leave his arm out for an arm bar, not to leave his arm in for a triangle. I think he's too smart for that, but again, we haven't seen much on him. You know, we've barely seen him in the UFC. He beat the crap out of John Phillips and Darce Chogum. He beat the crap out of Reese McKay with ground and pound. Uh, and that's his two UFC fights. Now, he's looked absolutely dominant in those two fights, and that's why he's a minus 550 favorite. Mearshart, the UFC veteran at this part and friend of the show, uh, is plus 400, a 4-1 to dog. This is a great matchup to me. It's a huge test for Chimiev. Who you got? So, first of all, I'm saying if you are betting this fight and you are betting on anybody but Gerald Mearshart, you are crazy. And I do mean that. I, I think that if you go into this fight thinking, I need to lay some money on it, and you even consider putting money on uh, Kazat Ch- Chimeyev at negative 500, you're an insane person. Okay? And the reason is, is that line is way off. Chimeyev, don't get me wrong, he does look like a hot prospect. You know, the comparisons to Habib are obvious, right, in addition to being... Uh, a guy from the the Russian block who's now relocated to Sweden. He's also got that, like, tough wrestling. But you also have to remember, and I don't mean this to be disparaging to his two opponents, he fought two of the very worst wrestlers in the UFC today. John Phillips' takedowns are absolute takedown defense, rather, is absolutely atrocious, okay? He, he is not a guy who is good at, at blocking takedowns. If you look at his career takedown defense in his five UFC fights, he is at 11%. That means he stops one out of every nine. And that's not inflated by the fact that he gave up takedowns to Kamzat Chimiev because Chimiev only went two of oh against him. He gave up takedowns to Kevin Holland, 
Charles Bird. Okay, like, he's giving up takedowns to guys who don't get tons of takedowns. So, like, he is not a good representative of that. And Reese McKee is a guy they signed on short notice specifically to fight Chimaev. And, and he's a guy who, if you look back at his, his record fighting in Europe in Cage Warriors, he also had trouble with the takedown defense. Now, with that being said, Mearshart, not a world beater when it comes to blocking the takedown. But he also did stuff Darren Wynn, who is a high-level wrestler, on two, one of two of his attempts. He made a box with him. He got a takedown himself. So this is, you know, don't get me wrong. I, I lean Chimaev if I'm making a straight pick here. But, like, when you look at the difference on the wrestling of the two guys he has faced in Gerald Mearshart, we are talking about an ocean of skills here. This is incredibly different. And I'd say, in this case, we don't really even have enough on Chimaev to know whether or not he can handle somebody like Gerald Mearshart. This isn't an easy fight to break down because the level of opponent is so different and it's so big and it's so fast. Okay, so for me on this one, I'm betting Mearshart as the underdog or I'm not betting this fight at all. Gun to my head, this fight is pretty much a coin flip in my mind. It's very interesting because Mearshart possesses a very specific skill set that could counter what we've seen as a strength with Chimiev. Now, where I guess I think of it a different way, and I agree with you that he was given some very favorable matchups because the UFC clearly likes this guy. And, you know, it was his strength versus two opponents' weaknesses. This will not be a weakness for Gerald Mearshart. Mearshart is actually uh, positive on takedowns in the UFC himself versus takedowns given up. He's not necessarily, like you said, easy to take down. His takedown uh, defense is... Uh, actually, okay, I thought it was going to be better. It's at 46%. But still, if you go through his fights, he was one-to-one against Darren Wynn. Uh, he was one-to-one against Trevin Giles. He took Kevin Holland down six times to Kevin Holland's one. Jack Hermanson took him down one time. He took Oscar Pagota down three times, uh, only gave up one that fight. Eric Spicely took him down. Uh, and then same thing, Tiago Santos, well, just KO'd the shit out of him. But Mearshart had three takedowns in that fight before it happened. My point being uh, that Shimiev had very favorable matchups to his strength, but I don't discount the fact that what I saw was very impressive once he got the takedown. And it only takes one, and I liken it a lot to, was Marcus Brimage a world beater? Absolutely not. But when we saw Connor rearing off that, you know, laser left hook against him in his first fight, I still have to take that knowledge into the the future bets and say, okay, if this guy gets an opening, you know, he's going to break for daylight and score a touchdown, even if Marcus Brimage didn't have the best boxing defense in the world. And then, of course, we saw Connor apply that to better and better opponents to the point where he's knocking out Jose Aldo in eight seconds. So I do believe what we saw of Chimiev, despite the competition not being, you know, the best, it was still very impressive. Um, but Mearshart does pose such an interesting test for him and early in his career in just his third fight. So that's what makes this fight great. I think you broke it down perfectly, which is Chimiev at minus 550 does seem a little crazy. You probably could take Mearshart at plus 400, lay down 100 bucks on it, and feel pretty fucking good about it. You know, there is a good chance he might pull off a crazy triangle. However, if I'm going straight up, I think this is Chimiev all day. It's just going to be a lot of ground and pound. And I'm going to assume he's too smart to leave his arm anywhere it shouldn't be. 
Yeah, I sort of agree with that, but it is worth mentioning, too, 23 submissions in his career, and including, if you look back at his record, it's like all of his past wins, right? Like, his past wins are sub-Darren Wynn, sub-Trevin Giles, sub-Oscar Pechota, TKO'd Eric Spicely, sub Ryan James, subbed Joe Gigliotti. So, like, woof, that is a Finnish machine. So, that that's a fun aspect of it, too. Uh, let's get to our underdog of the week. It is not Gerald Mearshart. Uh, it is Randy Costa at plus 115 over Journey Newsom. Break it down for us. So, I like Randy Costa in this one because I love the pure talent of Randy Costa. He's a guy who got to the UFC after only four pro fights which you barely ever see in the Bantamweight division. And it's because they could tell he had talent. He definitely had some trouble with uh, the grappling when he first got in, but he seems to be making leaps and bounds every single time, working at American Top Team, working with guys like Charles Rosa on his on his grappling. And, and you have to love the speed of his hands. He's fighting Journey Newsom here, who is a guy who I, I think it sees a similar path to victory as Randy Costa. I just think Randy Costa's faster and getting better at a faster clip, especially being how young he is. I think that plus 115 mark is a fun number. I've also seen the lines moving up and up and up towards the 120 mark at certain books. So if you can find Randy Costa inching his way towards 120, 130, I definitely say jump on that chance. All right. I think you should also jump on our parlay to play because this is a good one. This gives you some really nice odds. Take Ryan Spann, a plus 110 dog, very slight dog, a plus 110. Uh, facing Johnny Walker, who's not had a, a you know uh, a, an easy time in the UFC here. He's had some tough days at the office. So Ryan Span plus 110. Pair him with TJ Laramie. You got minus 290 on Laramie. It gives you plus 180 odds. So you're getting plus 180 odds on a pretty solid, almost three to one favorite, and then Ryan Span a very slight, almost like a pick'em dog. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to say, first of all, about TJ Laramie, because that's the easier one to break down. He's fighting Derek Minner, and the problem with Derek Minner is he seems to be getting outworked by grapplers. He's a guy who goes for submission over position. Like, he'll jump on a guillotine and not mind that he falls back and winds up inside control for two minutes every fight. And against a guy in TJ Laramie who punishes you for that, it's a terrible decision. So, you know, I actually think those odds are skewed terribly. And uh, TJ Laramie coming off of his win on the Contender Series probably should be a little bit closer to Kamzat Chimeyev's numbers. And, and now let's look at Ryan Spann. You're, you're 100% right. It's crazy Ryan Spann is coming into this fight as an underdog. We're talking about Johnny Walker, who's coming off back-to-back losses to, to Corey Anderson and Nikita Krylov, where he looked really bad against Nikita Krylov. And he's fighting a guy with legit KO power who's knocked out Little Nog. He's submitted Derek Clark. He's beaten up Sam Alvey to a decision. Like... He is an absolute beast in fighting out of Fortis MMA. You know that's that's one of my soft spots. I'll always pick the Fortis guy. But it just seems like Johnny Walker, you know, everybody got on the Johnny Walker train with three wins in under two minutes. It's a little bit troublesome because now we're seeing him against guys who are a little bit better, like Corey Anderson and Nikita Krylov. And I think he's being exposed a little bit. And I think Ryan Spann is the right person to continue exposing those striking weaknesses and those gas tank weaknesses. All right. Well, I like it. I think that's a great parlay to play. I think this was a fun fight, dogs and parlays for a kick-ass UFC Vegas 11 card. Very excited for this. It feels pay-per-view quality for a non-pay-per-view. That wraps it up for fight, dogs and parlays. Gumby, why don't you wrap up the show as a whole? 
And that's going to do it for another episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in, as you do each and every week. We wouldn't have a show without you guys. We also want to thank our sponsors, Maroon Social and MyBookie. Visit MyBookie.ag and use promo code TOPTURTLE. We want to remind you guys, you can check us out on Twitter or Instagram, at TopTurtleMMA. And until next week, I'm Daniel Gumby-Freeland. He's Shockwave Dave Tremonte. And we'll be back then.